Welcome to the My Risk Advisor podcast. This podcast is for anyone in the Australian financial planning ecosystem with a focus on life risk insurance. Whether you're a seasoned advisor or just starting out, I think you'll get heaps of value out of this podcast. I'm your host, Phil Thompson, and I'm a life risk insurance specialist, and you're listening to My Risk Advisor. Hey there, Australia. Today, I have a sit down with Tony Smoleski about the differences between general advice and personal advice when it comes to insurance advice. So, Tony runs a business called Tony Insurance and he runs a general advice model for insurance advice. So, we have a good chat about his model, how he works with clients exactly um, and then we just have a robust discussion about the differences between general advice and personal advice. So, strap yourselves in and have a listen but before we get stuck into this episode, we can't do this podcast without Zurich and One Path. So, I just want to start by saying thank you. Zurich and One Path are your partners in life and are also proud supporters of the My Risk Advisor podcast. So thanks for joining me, Tony. So today we're talking about the general advice model and how it differs from personal advice with regards to insurance um, advice. So previously in the Facebook community, you've kind of mentioned that general advice model is a potential solution for the underinsurance problem in Australia. So first of all, let's just start off this conversation. If you can just help me understand kind of what are the two differences between um, general advice and personal advice and, and yeah, how, what are the, where's the line drawn? The difference between general and personal is the biggest point of contention uh, among the the profession. The way I like to explain it is just like a mortgage broker is there to implement or put in place a mortgage product, they're not there to give you advice on uh, your debt needs or a solution to your debt strategies. You visit a financial advisor for that or a, or a specialist, the mortgage broker is there to provide you with the product. So what I do as, as a general advice broker, uh, insurance broker, is provide clients with the product. Uh, so the question for me and, and people that do general advice isn't general or personal um, or general over personal, it's general or personal. So yeah. a client comes in and one of the first things we establish with clients is that we, we don't provide them with advice, that if they have any questions or if they require advice, they need to see a financial advisor. So you were asking, you know, what's the difference between general and personal? The biggest difference at the end of the day is we do not provide advice. It's as simple yep. as that. And if you're falling into any form of opinion, you know you've completely missed the mark when it comes to general advice. And I think the biggest issue is the word advice in general advice yep. that everyone misunderstands when the reality is it's, it should be factual information because that is all we do. We provide factual information. We provide a client with a quote. And the client then directs that conversation. And like I said earlier, if the client can't direct the conversation and uh, they're asking questions, then a general advice insurance broker, a good one, will refer that client to a financial advisor or a risk specialist because that is the process. Just like a mortgage broker would refer a client to 
a financial advisor for debt strategies and advice. Yeah. We, we operate in the same way. Obviously, you know, the good quality brokers would do something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would, I'd love to get into the nitty-gritty of that personal advice and general advice in, in a little bit. But first of all, I kind of just want to get a good sense of your business, exactly how you kind of um, straddle that legislative difficulty. Um, and so, yeah, just help me understand kind of your end-to-end process as, you know, a, a new client comes to you. What, what does that end-to-end process look like? So, the moment the client comes to us, the first thing to remember is that uh, with general advice, it's not a way to circumvent personal advice. It's a separate offering. So what that means in essence is we identify whether or not the client has a personal advice need. And if they do, let that client know and then refer them out to an advisor. Or where a lot of clients are adamant that they don't, we go through our general advice process. So that general advice process end to end would be um, leveraging the technology that we have to make sure that we tick off all of our requirements and that we stay within the general advice requirements, such as providing the relevant disclosures to clients about, uh, you know, being general advice only, not considering their needs, objectives, financial situation, then going through to gather the information that we need to prepare a quote and only that information, so not delving into their personal situation in any way. The quote is prepared with the client uh, on the phone, on that phone call. And that quote is then sent out to the client, which would include all of the items they wanted to include as part of that, uh, that cover that they're looking for. So a quick example would be if they say, uh, Phil, I need a million dollars of life cover and half a million dollars of TPD. Now, in that instance, it's very simple. When a client starts to ask questions like, I'm not sure what I need, well, what do you think is the right amount? That's where we revisit what we explained and disclosed at the start, that we're not there to provide them with advice and if they're not sure that they do need to see a financial advisor. Yeah, cool. And that's mainly done over the phone with the client with, regarding the, with regards to that um, quoting and generating the quote. Correct. Very rarely in very rare circumstances would it be done face-to-face uh, because all, all of our technology and, and the, everything that we use is via the CRM that we use, so leveraging the technology that we have on hand. Once the quote's done, once the client's happy to proceed, uh, they've made any adjustments they want to make, included or excluded any benefits that they wanted to include or exclude. We then go through the application questions, submit that to the insurer, um, assist with the underwriting process, and that's it. There's, not, there's nothing else to it. The only difference, obviously, being when they go through an advisor, they go through the needs analysis and they're told what needs to be in place uh, and it's discussed with them. So they receive that advice and professional strategy, whereas with general advice, that doesn't occur. It's just, uh, you know, a quick example might be a client that just took out a mortgage through their mortgage broker and the mortgage broker said, look, just to be sure, you know, make sure you've got some cover in place. So then they'd call us. They don't want the advice. They just want some cover in place to cover that mortgage for the time being. We don't delve into the specifics. They just let us know the amount of cover and what they want. So life or TPD or both or trauma or income protection, whatever it may be. And that's it. That's where our, that's where it ends. As soon as the questions start coming up about 
Do I need to include a certain benefit? Should I have more cover? Those are questions that are referred back to the client and the client's told, look, if you if you need those clarified, that's a ad- financial advisor's area. That's where you're going. Okay. So, yeah, in terms of the nitty-gritty of the, of the process, how does a client choose the level of cover? So, when you're sitting with a client, do you have um, a... Like X plan open, or you know, one of the one of the advice solutions open with the quoting software. Like, what's your what is your actual process sitting with a client? Uh, the process is again very straightforward. So we have a script with mandatory wording uh, that we're required to say. Yep. Make sure the client is under you know understands. For example, the general advice warning. Um, you know that the conversations recorded. Yeah, basics. And then we go into asking the client what they would like to put in place. So remember, we've at the start of the conversation as well established that the client does not want personal advice. Yeah. And also that the client understands that we do not go towards personal advice. So a conversation might go along the lines of, okay, Phil, how much trauma cover would you like to have in place? And, Phil and knows, my answer is... What the hell's trauma? Idea. What do you think? Yeah, what do you think? <laughs> What's trauma? I've never heard of it. I don't, have no idea how much I would need. Okay, Phil, trauma cover is, and we, we read our text from the script. Yep. Uh, here are some examples of what it may cover in some instances. Now, how much would you like to have in place, if any? Yeah. Right? And then the client might say, look, i got no idea uh, so it could go one of two ways, right? The client says, I've got no idea. It makes no sense to me. I don't I don't know. Should I have it? Yeah. Then we revert back to stage one. Phil, as I explained earlier, we're not here to provide you with advice. If you think this is something that you want to receive advice on that's important to you, you should see a financial advisor or have a chat. If it's not something that, that you feel may be important to you at this stage, you can tell me a level of cover that you want to see the quote or uh, skip this cover. What would you like to yeah. do? So yeah. I think the clear distinction to make between personal advice and general advice in the process is with personal advice, you'd analyze the needs of the client. Yes. You'd then go prepare your advice and then you'd tell the client what they need to have in place and then have that needs analysis discussion and say, look, based on what you've explained to me, you you're, uh, you need one million of life cover, five hundred thousand TPD, two fifty trauma. Yeah. Now the premium, you know, that we've prepared, approximate premiums come to ten thousand dollars a year. Now, is this something you know based on your situation? I've analysed that you don't, you know, it might not be affordable. So let's discuss, and then your SOA would would show that I've analysed yes. they need two fifty. The premium is a lot higher than than what's affordable. We've discussed it and they've gone for 100000 There's your statement of advice. There's your meeting your best yeah, interest. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, this, this whole interview is not meant to be a, a compliance exercise. Um, yeah. So, it's, no, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say like where does the line – because we will talk about personal advice and general advice and that line in a bit more detail. But are you allowed to say, look, generally people you know, that we see do $100,000 or is that also just basically a you tell me, I'm not going to give you any clues? I'm I'm not of the belief that any suggestion of any sort of cover is uh, beneficial to anybody in this part of the process. 
Yeah. Personally, I'm a very big believer that everybody should get full advice. Yeah. And, that, and that's no joke. I think everybody needs to see a financial advisor. The issue that we all know that exists is there's many Australians out there before any of the changes had come in that just weren't interested in seeing a financial advisor for various reasons. Now that the changes have come in, uh, a lot of different changes, it's caused the cost of advice to go up for a lot of advisors, yep. which that barrier to entry for clients has gone uh, a lot higher. Yeah, and yeah. the issue that it's caused for a lot of people is and, and uh, advisors is the clients that were coming in that needed insurance but not advice now may not fit that requirement or may not be able to meet that entry barrier. So what do those clients do? The reason I started my business and the reason I want to go down this path and, uh, is because I've always been a big believer that we need to help as advisors, as professionals, we need to help the little guy. The, the big fish will always be able to look after themselves, but your local builder, the, the carpenter, the teacher at the school, they need the advice the most, but they can't access it. That's right. So with these changes and with my um, whole business uh, plan, the, the idea was not to work directly one-on-one -on -one with clients, but to work with other professionals like financial advisors, accountants, mortgage brokers, and to say, look, you've already got this existing relationship with the teacher, the carpenter, the, you know, the builder, and they need insurance, but it's not something that's going to uh, work within your practice for whatever reason. Yeah. yeah. So this is where, this is where uh, a broker comes in that sits down with the client and says, look, you should be getting advice. You know no, your that's right. I mean, charges. Yeah. I think, I think everyone listening can appreciate the need for, for people to get insurance. So like the business model um, and, and how do we, how do we um, go about it is more the, the question. So like um, the, the other question I have is like how do you, how do you make a product selection? And, and the answer is the client makes a product selection. But like how does, how does a client make the product selection in your, in your process? Is it, is it just a matter of once they've given you the million dollars of life, million of TBD and 100,000 of trauma and, and, and income protection, is it, do you then show them, do you, you just run a quote? And then show them the the insurers, the likely insurers, and then they select. Um, like, how does that how does that product selection work? So, I'll go back to answering that question from the start because I know I just yeah. jumped on you. So, to answer that question, the process that we undertake from start to finish is is this. So, using our technology solution, which records all of the conversations and the client policies and helps us prepare the quotes with uh, the piggybacking off the Omnium software. So, yeah, anyone cool. using Xplan or Omnium knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. What we do is we read out our mandatory scripting to the client. Okay. The client then, let's assume it's just a straightforward black and white client that's coming in to buy million dollars of life and a million of tpd yeah for whatever reason they want to do it through super or not super but let's say in this scenario it's super the client then tells us tony uh, i want a million dollars of life a million of tpd and you know the drop down boxes that come with the option selections in x plan or yep. Omnium. we just ask them would you like it in super or outside of super would you like to have tpd buyback or no buyback uh, premium waiver or no premium waiver at each point we explain what uh, that feature or benefit may be 
So it's a yes, no exercise. Yeah. The premiums are then generated uh, on a quote, which then goes out to the client. The client then has the opportunity to ask so, questions. Sorry, just to, just, to, just to stop on that, when you say the premiums, you're talking about the list of insurers. Correct. Yep. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So they get the list that we that we generate through the Omnium or X plan. Yep. yep. Uh, the retail insurers that we're ele- that we're authorised to uh, yep. quote on, yeah, which yeah. we have ten with uh, the current group I'm with, which is great. As you know, the more options, sometimes the better. Yep. <laughs> sometimes too many options aren't a good thing. Uh, we don't. We don't. Uh, an important thing to note is we don't select what to show the client. We show the client everything. Yeah. So the client sees the quote, they make a decision either on the, that phone call if they're happy with what they see, they make changes on that phone call. Now, remember, because everything's being recorded, there's no need for I need to send you an email to confirm this or that or whatever it may be. It just needs to be clear that the client's directing that conversation and the client's choosing what they want. Yeah, At yeah. the end of that, uh, the quote, being sent to the client and them deciding what they would like to proceed with for whatever reason yep. uh, and them a- asking any questions that we can answer that are g- uh, general or factual answers. The co- we then jump into the application with the client. The application is completed. If there's any underwriting required, that obviously goes off to the insurer. Uh, if there's no underwriting uh, and, you know, when there's no underwriting and the policy is complete, the policy goes into force. Bob's your uncle, end of, Happy end days. of discussion. One thing yeah. to note, one very important thing to note that a few people have brought up is around the underwriting and pre-assessment. Yep. This is this is a very grey area for a lot of people that don't understand because there's a need to understand the client's situation. It tends to be the idea that if you need to understand what's going on in the client's life, therefore you need to understand uh, you, you're, you're, you're addressing their personal needs. When we talk about general advice and we're considering factual information only, all we're disclosing to the client is that, Mr. Client, you have a BMI of 33 or a high cholesterol that you've told me that you have as part of the conversation. Uh, the insurer may uh, provide you with amended terms. So before I give you your quotes, would you like us to send this information to every insurer? So I make sure the client knows it goes out to every insurer. Would you like us to send this information so that they can let us know if there's any amended terms or if they need to increase the price, which they can do? Or would you like to go through the process and then find out after we make the application? Now, no client that I've uh, dealt with has ever turned around and said, "On you know what? I'll be fine. I know my high cholesterol isn't an issue or my high BMI. They always say, you know what, let's, yeah, let, let me know what they say. No problem. Yeah. I then email the insurers individually, the underwriting teams and say, hey, I've got a client. This is what they're after. So we'll prepare an initial quote that the client understands isn't the final pricing. Yeah. That then goes out to the insurer and we say, hey, we've prepared this quote with you. This is what the scenario is. What are the alternate terms, if any? The client gets the phone call back once we've compiled the information from everybody, irrelevant of how cheap or expensive they are, and we notify the client, okay, we've spoken to every single insurer, we've adjusted the quote with their premiums and what their terms are that they're offering. 
what would you like to do? Again, there's no consideration of the client's situation, needs, or objectives. Mm-hmm. It's just their a factual uh, standing of their health with regard to the premium. So here you go, Mr. Insurer. Here you go, Mr. Client. This is what the insurer said. Yeah, so basically an Excel spreadsheet. Here's the names of the insurers. Here's their premiums. Here's what the terms are likely to be based on our pre-assessment. Uh, not, not even... Uh, even more detailed than that. So they still get the quote if there's been, uh, if there has been adjustments to the premium due to loadings. Yeah. Um, those loadings get applied on the quoting. And then any amended terms or exclusions would be just, dis- would be disclosed verbally to the client. Uh, for example, insurer A has come back and said they will put an exclusion on your left arm yeah. based on the, f- the information you provided. Now, again, yeah, it's yeah. pending the application. Of course. And their assessment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, what would you like to do? And they know insurer A is going to exclude my left arm. Insurer B has a 50% loading. And um, it might be the scenario where they say, you know what, I'd, I want to go with insurer C. They may be a lot more uh, expensive than both of the other insurers, but there's no loadings or exclusions that I need to worry about for whatever reason. Yeah, 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 and that makes sense. So how do you manage existing policies? So like someone's got a, a group policy, how do you manage that with regards to the client? And and I'll, I'll, I'll flesh that out a bit more because because in my experience, most of my clients when they've got a default group cover and they want a high level of cover, the automatic assumption is this will be replaced. And so our advice actively tells them to keep that cover for a whole bunch of reasons. And and so how do you manage that? Um, yeah, well, I guess, well, f- first of all, from a kind of a compliance, you know, how do you stick within the general advice? But also from like an ethical point of view where you, can, you know the likelihood of them replacing that cover is high. And if they're going to get an exclusion, it may not be most appropriate for them. Okay, so in that in that sort of scenario, any existing insurance, we explain to clients that if you have existing insurance, should you choose to keep it, it may affect any new insurance you put in place. That's that's a brief discussion if they bring up that they have any existing insurance, which yeah. most of the time they they will say I've got something in place. In which, in which case we normally ask them what they what they want to do. Is it, is it something you want to replace? Would you like to keep the existing insurance? What do you want to do? Because in that scenario, we can then provide them with factual information to say, okay, well, if you want to keep your income protection policy that you're saying is not enough cover, just understand that if we take out a new policy, there will most likely be an offset clause which will yeah. reduce the amount of cover that's payable to you. So in the group insurance I guess scenario... Yeah, I guess it's less about the offset discussion and more about if if they've got a IP and TPD policy and the new one will have exclusions for mental health because last year they went and got a mental health plan. Like where does the line... Where do you... How do you go about that discussion of saying, actually, you know what? Maybe keep that policy in place. Obviously, you're not saying this to the clients, but but you know that you know if that doesn't have an exclusion and the new one that we'll set up has an exclusion, how do you go about that? That's that's really good. This is a prime example of of someone with financial advice expertise viewing general advice, and uh, 
what I'd highlight is that you, you're exactly right. There is no moral standing for you to skip over um, what their existing policies are. And as an advisor, you would never do that. However, we're talking about financial advice compared to sales of insurance products. So as a broker, what I would say in that exact same scenario is obviously understanding what may be at risk for the client. I would highlight to the client exactly what I would in any, in any case where I would say, uh, this is the current scenario with your existing policy from what you've told me. So obviously acting on factual information only. If I don't have the policy in front of me or if I'm not the advisor on the policy. So you've told me that you've got an existing group policy that covers everything. Now we've gone through this application or you've disclosed to me during the quoting that you've seen a doctor for your taking medication due to mental health, whatever it may be. Just be aware that any new policy we take may have exclusions or based on what you've told me, will have an exclusion for whatever the scenario is. Now, it may seem cheaper. However, it's, it's your decision. Just understand that you won't be covered for mental health. Yeah. So uh, we're not talking, I guess, we're not talking about trying to sell the product to anybody that makes the phone call. I think that's a very key point to make in this discussion because it's not about selling insurance to everyone that picks up the phone and calls you. It's about explaining to clients what is available for them and empowering that client to make that decision and understanding that at a certain point, because there's a lot of clients that are confident they know what they want until you've spoken to them and then they realize that they've just jumped in the deep end and actually have no idea. Hmm. At that point, being able to say to the client, look, you've got this mental health exclusion potentially on the new policy. You don't have one on your group cover and you're not sure what decision to make. The scenario, Phil, is if something happened uh, mental health-wise and you weren't paid, from what you've said, you wouldn't be able to survive, right? That was your concern and why you were looking for cover. Now, I know you don't want advice, but in this scenario, you need to see a financial advisor because if we put a policy in place for you and something happens... Uh, you're going to be in a position where you've made that decision and you're completely at risk yourself. And I know that's not what you want. So I know you thought it was a bit expensive when they told you it's going to cost $3,000 for the advice, but I can ask a few of my colleagues, people that might be able to help you. That doesn't happen often. That might happen maybe, you know, one in 10 clients might be in that, in that situation. So it does happen. I have had experience with it, but those clients it's our fiduciary obligation as, as uh, you know, people under the advice banner to make sure that we do the right thing by the client. We're not governed by the, um, you know, code as general advice brokers, yep. but it's still our obligation, uh, you know, RG244 and everything else in there to make sure that we are the ones looking after the clients. It's similar to the Westpac, well, not to go into legal side of things, so you know, similar to past situations where a broker or a person has sold a policy to a client based on what the client wants and yep. then found in court that they shouldn't have done that, even though the client directed it. It's the same scenario here to say to the client, and, and that's where the skill level lies, just like with financial advisors being able to say to clients, look, Phil, I know you don't want to pay 5000 for this insurance, 
but mate, if you don't pay the five grand, you are stuffed. Yeah, so yeah. you go home, come to terms with it, and you're going to pay five grand tomorrow because that's the right thing to do. And that's, you know, um, I'm meeting, I'm meeting my requirements. This is best interest for you. Same thing as a general advice broker, uh, insurance broker. We do the exact same thing where we listen to the client and we give feedback to the client on factual information. Yeah. And that's, that's the best way I can highlight it without babbling on too much more. For anyone consider, you know, in the personal advice space, uh, moving or considering a move to general advice, it's not a requirement to leave your clients there to help, you know, to help provide some context in the scenario. If there was a, a person who wanted to go from personal advice to general advice, it would be a matter of clarifying with your clients that, hey, just so you understand where I was telling you what to do, I can no longer do that. I can guide you with factual information. I just can't uh, give you um, personal advice, obviously, anymore. Should you need that still, I have a colleague, Phil, who will be able to meet those needs for you and do the exact same job I was doing, and I'll be able to tell him everything about you so you can get that job done properly. I can yeah. even sit on that meeting and, and clarify any questions for Phil. Yes, I mean, so that's a good point and we'll kind of segue into the nitty-gritty of general versus personal advice because, I mean, it's good understanding your business and how you, and how you go about it but I guess this, this next section will be about like how is it actually possible and also um, just have a chat about that Westpac core case um, that, that came out early last year and, and about what the findings were there but... but um, well, I guess just touching on that, that Westpac um, High Court ruling and, and if, you know, for the listeners, Westpac was seen to be giving personal advice um, to their clients, but they they were, under their impression, giving general advice at the time. And so, the High Court ruling said, no, it was personal advice and there was a few really interesting takeaways. So, I mean... I don't do much research on this podcast, but I did a bit of research um, in the in the past about this Westpac case because I'm uh, risk only advisor, all in on personal advice, and you know it's prudent for me to to, to look at okay, what are the other options? What are the other business models out there? Um, so the the thing with the Westpac court case from a novice, someone who knows nothing about law, like myself, is that the, the judge ruled that it was it was very heavily based on an objective test whereby the legislation says a reasonable person might expect that wait let me let me actually get the wording that advice may be regarded as personal advice if the if it's presented that way um, and a reasonable person might expect to have considered one or more clients objectives financial situation or needs so Given that's a requirement, coming back to your business model in terms of like how do you review the client's situation because you then know the client's personal circumstances, you know their health history and it's it's potentially a little bit more difficult to give general advice a second time around. Um, I, would, I would assume because the client may have the expectation that, that it is based on their personal situation. So how do you, in your actual business, how do you go about reviewing the client's needs. The first thing I'd note is the Westpac case was about superannuation, not insurance. So when it came to the selection of products for the client, uh, my understanding and 
uh, you know, I don't want to go into specifics of what was in the case in case I'm wrong. Uh, my understanding is those clients were informed that a certain product would be suit may be suitable for them. And because they were being informed by this employee of the bank, uh, the assumption was, well, the employee knows my situation. They're telling me to buy this product based mm. on, you know, these considerations. Now, from the employee's standpoint, I think the argument in the case was the employees uh, were just selling our product. They weren't considering the client's situation because this was the only product we had to sell to these clients. Uh, and obviously, you always have to look at it from the client's shoes and say, does this person think I'm giving them advice, even if I'm not and read them every single warning 10 times? Does this person think I'm giving them advice? Or does this person know I'm not giving them advice? Mm. That's why it's important to have that understanding with the client from the start that if they need advice, if either of you identify they need advice, that there is an option for that, that they don't have to proceed and buy a product and be in exactly that situation where they wake up tomorrow and say, oh, Tony told me I should buy this insurance because that's what I wanted. I told him what I wanted and he told me to buy this insurance. No, Phil, that's not what happened uh, because we've gone through this process that we have and we don't have that issue uh, because of our systems. Now, look, it may be the case that other brokers that don't have such these these levels of controls may have some issues like that currently or in future. Uh, you may see it in the news, but highly unlikely because of everything having to be kept simple. And to your point about is it personal advice if I know the client's situation, you have to take it a few steps back and go, okay, this, uh, if I'll give you, I'll give you a, a real-life example. My brother who um, wants insurance in place, he's not going to go to Phil. He's going to come to Tony. Now, if he wants advice, Tony will recommend that he goes and speaks to Phil, like I have with other family members to go and speak to my uh, you know, ex-business partners or other advisors that I may know. Yeah. So where my brother needs insurance and he doesn't want to think about anything, he just goes, Tony, look, I just want a million of life, a million of TPD, um, the maximum they'll give me for income protection. Just send me some quotes. I go through my process. We read the script, right? He, it's the same as with any other client. Uh, and then he makes a decision on what he wants to do. Now, just because I know my brother's income, financial situation, health history, does that mean I cannot sell insurance to my brother? No. It just means that I can't advise him based on those, uh, the information that I know what he should do. And this is a, I know it's a point of contention, but you have to look at it from the point of just because you know information about something doesn't mean you're using that information to put the insurance product together. In a scenario for superannuation, for example, if someone, if you knew someone uh, was only, was putting in $50,000 a year into super potentially, would you sit there and tell them what product to purchase with super? Maybe, right? And that's where it gets a little bit tricky with uh, general advice with products that are not insurance, like mm. maybe housing, uh, debt products. Do you, under do you understand what I mean? Uh, whereas with insurance, 
because we're talking about specific options, specific 10 products, uh, there's not, no other choices that we deal with. These are disclosed up front to the client. Uh, should the client say, you know what, Tony, I don't want to do any of those products. I want to go with the industry super fund because they've offered me a cheaper price. Yeah. Not, not a problem, right? I'm not going to sit there convincing the client why they should go retail over, um, over industry auto, auto accepted. Um, take a, a couple steps back with personal advice. When a client, when you, when you know the client's health history, when you know the client's financial situation, when you know the client's birthdays, that they've just had kids, that they're just getting married, uh, what wine they like, what movies they like to watch. These are things that empower you to provide factual information to the client um, that may be of consideration. Yeah, it's really interesting because the, the regulatory guide 244 that you kind of referenced before about talking about and it's interesting if anyone wants to read 139 pages of a regulatory guide go have a read but it talks about like general advice um you know factual information and scaled advice and it's really interesting the general advice section is very broad and and quite open in terms of like even if you it does say in the in the regulatory guides even if you do know someone's personal circumstances doesn't trigger the fact of that there's a need for personal advice yeah however the the court ruling that was with Westpac was really interesting and and there was nothing about that case had anything to do like it was about superannuation and and you're right but but the ruling wasn't specific to insurance. It was just about whether it's general or personal advice. So I don't think the the, the form of financial product actually has a has a um, has a meaningful impact in in what is general or what is personal. But it was really interesting with the, that court case where the judge and I'll read it out. It basically says that the judge observed that the definition of personal advices possesses an objective test. So it's very grey, very objective and it's at, and assessed at the time the advice was given and having regards to the circumstances. It refers to the reasonable person's expectation where a reasonable person is standing in the shoes of the client. Her Honor held that in the reference of what a reasonable person might expect, which is what the legislation says, has a much wider meaning than what a reasonable person would expect, which is where I, if I was in the general advice space, I would be panicked by that court ruling because the legislation does say might expect what a general, what a reasonable person might expect, which, and the court ruling basically said, well, that's really wide open. That's a really hard barrier that, and so I guess, I guess the question after my big monologue, apologies, listeners. Um, but the question on the, off the end of that is, is because it's at the time the advice is given and it's very objective, If a client, are you worried that a client may come back to you and have some poor outcome with their advice, either a claim not paid or cancelled a default cover that may have paid out a claim or some issue at claim time and come back to you and say, well, I expected it to be personal advice? Very good question uh the best way i can answer that is if you've come to me and i know your medical history your financial situation if i know everything about you right and you say to me um tony 
I want a million dollars of, uh, let's say I want $10,000 a month of income protection, right? Now you're only, and I know that you can't get 10,000. Your maximum is 5,000, right? Factual information would be, Phil, the maximum available to you is 5,000 per month. That's factual information. Now, by the way, asterisks on that, assuming yeah. it's 70%, <laughs> assuming it's that yeah, 70% and, maximum. Now, that's a difficult <laughs> factual yeah. statement now because of whether it's With a changes, true policy yeah. or retail policy, are we talking, you know, whatever. But yes, I get, I get you, I'm following. In, yeah, in a scenario where, yeah. Maximum is here are the ten insurers. The maximum you can get is this five thousand. Yep. Now, the best way, you know, some people might disagree and go, "Hang on a sec," you know, could be five and a half, could be this, could be that. When you enter in the client's annual income into the quoting software, the quoting software itself tells you which insurers offer ten thousand a month and which ones don't. So the best way to to explain it is if the quoting software itself is giving you a no, is it considering the client's situation when you tell them they can't get 10,000 or is it factual information to say the quoting software has come back and said the maximum that's available to you is 5,000. Remember the, the issue between uh, full advice and personal advice and, and general advice is, is this information factual and the big trick to that is, I guess, experience. It's never easy, like you're saying, you know, for someone that's never done general advice, it's a very scary minefield to think that you can just walk in and just start talking about insurance to clients. You will have trip-ups where you've said something you shouldn't have, you know, you've, you've considered something you shouldn't have considered, and that's where the training and the technology that we leverage comes into play. And the scripting we use helps uh, quite a lot. When we talk about is this, uh, you know, like you're saying, it's, it's very scary to think what would a reasonable person think in this situation? And it goes back 100% to who's driving this conversation. Am I saying to the client, hey, look, uh, with life insurance, you know, some options you might want to consider are 1 million or 500,000. What do you think? Now that, that may sound like I'm just telling the client to, you know, here are your options factually. Yeah. But what you've done there is you've limited their decision-making. So you've guided that conversation. So you've crept into personal advice in that scenario. If you've asked the client what they want to put in place and they've said $10,000 of income protection, that's the client directing that conversation. You then correcting them to say, look, the quoting software is coming back. The maximum available to you is 5000 What would you like to do? Uh, that's different to saying to the client, let's just do 5000 So what would you like to do? And this is what you should do, or this is what you're, you know, what you have to do are the distinctions. Now it's the, the one thing I would like to highlight is it's not, um, you know, not, not to promote my business or licensees or anything like that. But my personal view is every financial advisor, just like they have existing relationships with accountants or mortgage brokers for their clients' needs, should also have in this day and age a uh, relationship with an insurance broker for life insurance. 
because clients are going to come in and say to you, Phil, I want a million dollars of cover. Now, you've asked me as, an, as a broker, you've said, Tone, uh, how do you know, you know, how do you navigate this minefield of, minefield of is it general or is it personal? Aren't you scared that you're encroaching, you know, what would a reasonable person consider? No, no, no. What I might would, a reasonable person consider? Yeah, what might a reasonable person <laughs> consider? Would. Might. I would ask the question from my standpoint of, are you really uh, meeting your best interest duty by giving a client advice when they don't want it? Now, I, I'm a, like I said earlier, I believe every client needs to go through that advice process, mandatory in Australia, but there's a time and place for it. You can't force, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't force him to drink, right? I think your assumption is that every risk specialist is charging three grand for an SOA. No, I'm saying more. Yeah, sorry. So take it a take it a step back. So financial advisors specifically, not necessarily risk specialists, but financial advisors as a whole need to have that relationships. Whether it's relationship, whether it's with a risk specialist advisor uh, and a insurance broker, or just a one or the other, is up to them. Yeah. But for a, um, the point I wanted to make was, if a client comes to an advisor whose obligation, you know, with the code and everything is to meet the best interest or act in the best interest uh, of the client and the client does not want advice and has clarified to you that they just want to purchase a specific product for a specific reason, are you not in that instance in the same breach that we would be in if we provided advice? So wouldn't a risk specialist advisor or a financial advisor not meet the best interest by providing advice to this client that just wants a product. You know, assuming, let's assume you don't even charge a fee and the client says, Phil, I need to do this. Well, Phil needs to do the fact find. He needs to do the needs analysis. He needs to do the research. Let's assume you don't need to change products. You need to do the research. You need to go through this whole process while the client's sitting there and going, Phil, mate, I just want a million of cover for this reason. Can you just go get it done? Yeah, you're right. I understand. I understand the point, but but going back to your process, you're still going through underwriting. A, a, sorry, a pre-assessment process with your clients. Yes, however, it's on clients' instructions. So I guess what I'm getting at. So if they if they say not, nah, just give me a meal of life. Don't want to pre-assess. If they if I get rejected, I get rejected. If I get a loading, I get a loading. And you'd be like, cool, all right, happy. Well, day. a lot of yeah, uh, not not a lot of my referrals. A few of my referrals come from exactly that scenario, from financial advisors or risk specialists where the clients walked in the door and said, I want X, uh, and the advisors said, not a problem at all. I need to go through an advice process and I'll tell you what you need. Now, from there, if you want to adjust that, you're welcome to, but my responsibility is to go through the advice process with you. That's the requirements. That's everything. I have to do that. Because you can't take that shortcut. There's, I know there's a few cowboys out there that may not, uh, you know, agree and say, you know what, if the client walks into my business and says, I want a million dollars, I tell them, no, you don't. We're going to go through the advice process and then somehow magically end up at the million dollars anyway, you know, in a shorthand version of an SOA. And that's at the moment that, you know, no one's had an issue with that. But what I'm saying is why not do the same thing and make your profit by just saying to your client, look, you just need general advice in this scenario. I'll get the guy to give you a call. Let's say he's in your office. 
uh, you know, Frank over here is going to give you a call and just set that policy up. No advice needed. And if you need advice, you come back to me because I'm the advisor. And the client goes, yeah, I, I couldn't do the stuff, mate. Just get that million dollars in place. So yeah. what I'm saying is as a general advice guy, are we, you know, are we shaking in our boots because of this court ruling? Well, you know, this one court ruling about superannuation compared to, you know, the hundreds of, well, maybe not hundreds, but tens of rulings against financial advice that hasn't properly met the client's needs, you know, on balance, I would be saying, you know what, as an advisor, getting a commission for insurance executing what a client wants is a riskier process than just doing what the client wants under a general advice model somewhere, you know, sending them elsewhere to do it under a general advice model. Because the general advice guys in my shoes, all we've done with the client and our biggest risk is making sure the client understands we don't give them advice. And the biggest red flag is being able to hear that the client sounds like they need advice. And that's the trick. As soon as they start sounding like they need advice, as soon as they're not sure and asking you a few too many questions, that's the cutoff. And you can hear it on our phone calls, you know. Uh, like I said, one in 10 or so of the people calling us, they'll want advice, but they don't know they want advice or they don't want the fee or they don't want the process or whatever it may be. And then being that's able right. to refer them. And same thing on the, on the full advice side, I think a lot of issues would be resolved if you're a risk specialist or a financial advisor, if the first thing you did was identify whether the client needs to go through that advice process. So, you know, obviously a lot yeah, of... Yeah, but I mean, so just to stop you there. So for me, I ask in every one of my advice meetings, when we get to the needs analysis, I ask everyone, did you have an idea of how much cover you wanted before we had this meeting? 99. 8% of my clients said I had no idea. Yep. So therefore, I kind of go back and go, that could be a question I could ask my clients and say, do you have an idea of the level of cover you want? And I, I'm certain 99% of them would say no. So therefore, it triggers a personal advice experience anyway. Um, and even if they said, like it's very few and far between, and this is my experience, like and and by like – We've done a lot of advice. Um, very few people say they don't. Know, they know exactly how much cover they want. Fifty um, percent of our advice, the product selection, is based off an underwriting decision. So fifty percent of our advice, and so to kind of say we need a we need a general advice partnership or not partnership, but but a relationship there. We need to flick our clients if they if they say, hey, just give me a quote and, and send it to me, is, I mean, I agree with you, every advisor, and we're both, in, we're both in the same position. Every advisor who doesn't want to do risk should send it out because it'll come to me or you. So we're in the same position. We both agree on that. It's just where do they go? I get, I get very worried with the court ruling, even though it was super because the ruling had nothing to do with the actual product that was sold. It had the it it very much came down to the fact that a reasonable person may have expected it to be personal advice. So I've looked at it in my business, going, okay, could we move to a general advice model? Well, there was like, a recent all, ruling. I, I'm not sure if you remember. There was a recent ruling, uh, and I think it was in the my risk advisor um, page. One of the people 
and and I, I might be you know not not 100 yeah, yeah butchering it i butcher everything go for it yeah yeah there was a person that posted about a client that had passed away and the wife was now suing the advisor because the advisor had reduced the cover on the client's instructions and the advisor reduced the cover then client passed away and the advice and the wife turned around and then was going to sue the uh, advisor because he didn't it wasn't in the best interest of the client to reduce the cover now i'm not sure where in the courts that got to but i do remember seeing it and there there have been similar cases in the past where an advisor has acted on the client's instructions for whatever requirement and then the uh, client's gone after the advisor after a claims occurred or after a uh, you know health scare or whatever it may be and then caused an issue for the advisor and that happens to people providing full advice because obviously it the question then comes was it in the best interest of the client and again you know up to its, its objective yeah yeah so i mean but i would, thing, I would say you're at you're at risk for the same thing well, that, that's the thing. It hasn't because the wife could just say, "Well, we assumed that there was that they took our circumstances into account." Yeah, so it hasn't happened on uh, the general advice side because yeah, but I would just argue that it hasn't happened because of the volume of general advice providers. Well, think of, yeah, think about the volume of uh, business that goes through under a general advice model compared to personal advice, uh, and then have a look at the rulings or the cases that have gone through the courts. For, uh, general advice versus personal advice. I'm not saying majority, not majority saying of that, policies are personal advice. Sorry, majority of the individual policies are uh, introduced through a personal advice channel. Well, if you think you look at um, you know the bigger online platforms and the sort of volume of business that they do, uh, my my understanding is that general advice retail products tend to fly out the door faster through. Stati- my understanding, statistically, the majority of policies that are put in force are under a personal advice model. I'll um, take but, it on notice. Yeah, I mean, we could both. We could, <laughs> I thought, yeah, no, my understanding we'll was have yes. have a chat to the insurer. That would be an interesting question f- to an insurer. So uh, just to wrap this up, this has been a really good discussion. Um, uh, but to wrap it up, I've got two questions. First question What's one thing that you do to um, as a hobby in your downtime that's a little bit interesting? <laughs> skydiving. Skydiving. I would crap my dax going skydiving. I'm terrified of heights. That's a good one. And last question, when do you get time to do your emails? Do you do it in the morning, midday, all throughout the day, at night? When do you get time to do emails? I never get time to do my emails but mainly middle of the day Yeah, between... Uh, between meetings. <laughs> yeah, 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 when you can. Awesome. Well, how do people get in touch with you, Tony? This has been a good chat. How do people get it, reach out to you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. So you can have a look at Tony Insurance or Tony Smolevsky, which you can spell it. Yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm active in the My Risk Advisor group and you're welcome to give me a call on my mobile. So if you go to tonyinsurance.com.au, you'll see all reach the contact out there. details, everything there. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you very much for coming. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Phil.
Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode and you think someone else will get value out of it, I'd love it if you could forward it on to them. And as always, we can continue the conversation in the My Risk Advisor Facebook group. All you need to do, open up Facebook and search My Risk Advisor and I'll see you in there.